When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We're exactly the same people we were five hours ago, just duller because we briefly slept in between the post game podcast and this day after podcast. But it's not like we studied anything, we didn't re watch the game. We got a few hours of fitful sleep. And now we're back with your questions. So thanks, everybody who's listening. Thanks, everybody who tuned in after the game. We went an hour in the post game with our thoughts on what happened. And then I just went through a couple of hundred of the more than a thousand post game questions we got from our texters. I pulled up 19. I don't know that we'll get to all of them. We'll see how it goes. Some of them will overlap a little bit. Some of them we can save for the next couple months. But we wanted to get the pulse. I, there were a few things, guys, not surprisingly, I, I, again, went through different batches of them, of them. But Nathan, a few this morning that I saw that were like, okay, I feel a little better this morning than I did when I went to bed. So is that uh, perhaps an opinion that you think there are some percentage of people around Buckeye Nation that are sharing that opinion this morning? I think at some point, yeah, it stings when you've built toward, towards this the whole season you went into the season thinking this is a team that has national championship opportunity, aspirations, possibilities, if they could just get to the game. And then they get to the game and they get wiped out. I think I understand that um, the emotional reaction that a fan might have to be like, what the hell? But then I think if you step back and look at it, what you saw from Alabama should recalibrate what you think a national championship team looks like. And you realize that, Ohio State's roster was not it. Steven, you think people are waking up this morning more fired up or a little more like, okay, I get it. I think they're either one or the other. <laughs> They've either, you know, calmed down a little bit and aren't immediately reacting to what just happened, or they woke up in the morning thinking, I can't believe that went down like that. How how in the world did that go down like that? Maybe they're even more there's nobody in the middle from where they were last night. They're either even more upset or they've calmed down completely. I don't want to make it sound either that I think that like everybody who reacts in the moment is like some kind of crazy fan. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of reasonable things to react to. And there's a lot of, there's things this morning 
where you can wake up and say, you know what? I think I think this needs to get better. or This was an issue, whatever. I mean, that that that's it's not all emotion when you analyze this team. Um, so let's get into the questions. We'll start with Justin Fields because everything starts with Justin Fields from the nine five one. Should we consider it a failure to not win a national championship in two years of having Justin Fields? Steven, is it a failure? No, no, it's not a failure. Uh, it sucks, but it's not. I don't think it's a failure that in two years of have because the quarterback recruiting is not going to fall off a cliff. So no, this it's he's a he was a, he's a I don't know he's not quite generational quarterback, but he's an elite level quarterback that you know he, he accomplished some things here, but it's not a crime that he didn't win a national championship. Not quite generational. No, I I, I don't think he's quite that who is who's generational in college football that that you think is the level that's slightly above him trevor maybe even burr yeah and even joe where it's uh, even i don't know if i'd even say joe because that was such flash in the pan where everything had to click at the right time more trevor because that was every year he seemed to just live in a national championship game for a little minute uh nathan what do you think uh, and, and and I don't want the entire discussion of the next six months to be how do you define success and how you define failure. That's part of the answer here. We get it. And and that's a discussion that like fan bases of elite teams have all the time. That, oh, is it a failure if you don't win a national championship? Or what is it? And we, we know what people are saying here. And people all define it slightly different ways in their own head. But that's the question, Nathan. Where are you on it? No, it's not a failure not to win a national championship. I mean, I think you can have a generational talent at quarterback and still not win a championship. Um, as Steven, you know, Steven just said so when he says he thinks Trevor Lawrence might be a generational talent. I know they won one two years ago, but they didn't win one either the last two years with him at Clemson. They didn't beat Ohio State this year. So um, it, I think it tells you that that's part of the equation is having a quarterback that talented. Um, but the full equation relative to at least one other team that was out there on the landscape just wasn't there for Ohio State. I don't know that, again, as we talked about last night, I don't know that even if they beat Clemson as they easily could have last season, I don't know that they beat LSU. I think there, there may still just be right now that behemoth on the horizon um, year in and year out that they're not at that level right now. LSU last year, Alabama this year, uh, Clemson from – five years ago the, there may just be another level that even when Ohio state pushes through and avoids those landmines during the big 10 season or whatever, there may still just be separation. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah. See, I disagree with that. Cause like they were that behemoth in 2014, it turned out they had more talent than anybody in the country and they pushed through and they won. And here's the other thing that's going to be difficult about this Ohio state. The last two years made the playoff. And they lost in the semifinal and they made it to the championship game. So that equals what Clemson did the last two years. Clemson lost in the semifinal and made it to a championship game, right? Alabama won a national title and didn't make the playoff in these two years. LSU won a national title and didn't come close to making the playoff in these two years. So it's like, what are we talking about like if you combine these two years together all right Alabama and Clemson are at the top of college football well Ohio State did exactly what Clemson did 
And Ohio State made the playoff both years, which Al- which no one else, Alabama didn't, and LSU didn't. So it's like, th- this is the hard thing when you're talking about a single program. We're saying, part of your point, Nathan, is that Ohio State may not have the top, top, top level stuff to push through because there's often a behemoth waiting there at the end. But the behemoth last year was different than the behemoth this year. So you're now comparing your one team against the best of everybody else every year and saying that your one team may fall short of that, which they did the past two years, but they also combined may have been, may have had the best combined two-year run of any program in the country the last two years. They didn't get it done, but I, I do, when you wind up comparing and listen, Bama's hard. Bama's just different. Bama's just different. We're going to get to Bama. But when you wind up comparing your team to the field and you say, well, the field, it's like, well, yeah, it's 129 other teams. Um, this two-year run is as good as anybody else out there. So I think like, and again, it's just the context of how you look at it. But I don't, I don't think, the, the other thing is, and, and Stephen, you're defining a generational quarterback talent, your answer for who's a generational quarterback talent was basically who won a national title. So it's like, well, what are you a generational quarterback talent first? And then you might win it because you are a generational quarterback talent or does winning the national title. Is that the thing that makes you a generational quarterback talent? Because yeah, Trevor won it in his first year. Justin get to, didn't get to play his first year, but then the last two years, Justin and Trevor, like we're, very kind of similar in a lot of ways. And like Justin just didn't get a chance to get on the field early. Here's where I think the issue comes in of how we have to evaluate this long-term. There's so many good quarterbacks now that like, I think there's like multiple generational talents at the same time. There's so many good guys. Listen, Bryce Young, DJ Uyunglele and CJ Stroud were the top three quarterbacks in the last recruiting class. It's going to be hard for all three of them to win a national title in part because there are more than one of them. There was a time in college football where if like you had the best quarterback, that was a huge edge. Now every good team has a great quarterback. So it's like, what are you like? How, not everybody's going to win. So I think it's going to get more complicated to evaluate. We always evaluate quarterbacks in terms of winning. I think it's going to get more complicated to do that in college football because there are so many more of them. Even, I mean, 10 years ago when Cam Newton won, it's like, well, Cam Newton, man, my gosh, who's like that? That guy's rare. And then he won the Heisman, won the national title, and he's generational. There weren't like five other Cam Newtons that year. But, man, there's a lot of good quarterbacks now. So I would not say I would not say it's a failure. I think it's – and the other thing is this. What did they run up against? They got knocked out in these two years by the two preeminent programs. So – and they played right with them up until this crazy Alabama team. So I don't know. I think um, I think it's a complicated evaluation process, but I think we also have to let our view of this kind of thing evolve because, man, Stephen, all we talk about is how much you need a quarterback, but there are more than there used to be. There is not just one. Now, Justin and Trevor are special, but there are lots – there are more good quarterbacks than there used to be, and it makes all of this much harder. There's also the, those other two programs are on their maybe second or third elite level quarterback when Alabama and Clemson is obviously what I'm talking about here. While I think there's for Ohio State right now, it's kind of 
before Justin and after Justin, I was going to use an acronym, but did not remember what one of those acronyms would be. So it's that that's the life they're in right now. So you almost have to see what, you know, the next quarterback after him, whether it's Stroud or Jack Miller or Kyle McCord, or even, you know, Quinn Ewers, if he comes in with like, you have to see what they do after that to kind of have that discussion with Ohio state a little bit. Way, way too early for that, Stephen. We got to save that kind of talk for yeah. the, uh, for the uh, late night. Yeah. Pods. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I'm, I'm running on fumes here. Yeah. Again, I think it's, I, th- I just think it's about the, I think, I don't, I, it, it, it sort, of, sort of sounded like you were taking that in a way where you were disagreeing with what we had said. I feel like you said essentially the same things that we said in a lot of ways. I don't, and I think it's, again, anymore, it's about getting the playoff. It's not like the old days of the BCS or, or the really old days of, of garbage, but even the BCS, you, you got selected and you had to win one game. You still got to go out and win two games now. That's the other factor here that makes it so much more difficult. That's true. I don't – I mean, yeah. I mean, of course, that's true. But also, I don't think they lost because – here's okay, were they the best team in the country either year? No. It's not like they were the best team in the country, and the fact that they had to win two right. games instead of one is what held them back. Is like there's just – there's probably not – there's probably not a system where they would have emerged, right, given the two things way- that occurred this year. I guess the, I think the thing that I was maybe shooting for with my original answer was both of these teams at some point, if you take this team and transport it somewhere else, even just in the playoff era, maybe that's a national championship team that year, the year that maybe this team in last maybe last year's team, especially maybe they beat the Alabama, Georgia overtime teams or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But these two years, these weren't the national championship teams. We saw what, what a national championship team was, these past two years was defined by what LSU was last year, what Alabama was this year. And it is hard for the world. We talked about it a lot coming in. I mean, just the 2014 Alabama team, which was the last in-person reference for Ohio state fans of Alabama, Alabama has evolved two evolutions since then that the quarterback play is just so different and that they don't just have one Amari Cooper. They have like three Amari Coopers, you know, and then, and they still have the running back and that, that's, that's, I think, the, the difficult thing about this. It is hard. Here's the thing. I think this, there isn't a question about this, and we will, of course, do this again in the offseason with the tiers and everything else. I feel like at the moment what this season reinforced was that Bama's on a tier of its own and maybe Ohio State and Clemson are on the next tier together. Mm-hmm. That Clemson, when it peaks, can be up at Bama territory, but Bama peak, nobody can really run with because it's the greatest coach ever. It's the depth of talent on both sides of the ball. And they have now caught up offensively to everybody else. So there's not anything that they don't do on the highest level. So when we do tiers, that's Bama. But Steven, then I feel like Ohio State kind of has shown the last two years that they are right there with Clemson now. Now they finally have the win. They got over that hump. So when we go back the next time we do that, I think my tier is one, Alabama by itself, two, Ohio State and Clemson and nobody else, and then everybody else is three after that. Yeah, because with Bama, you're either recruiting like them or you're playing like them on the field, but you're not both. And Ohio State might be the closest to that of, be, of being both of those worlds, but also they don't play in the SEC where they throw the ball around. They play in the Big Ten where they're running it all over the place. Well, that's the difference. I do think what becomes interesting now is we talk about getting the monkey off your back. I don't 
know if Ohio State has a monkey on its back anymore about anything because they've already they conquered the Alabama mountain already before. And so this was just the loss in the national championship game to a team that was better than you. This wasn't the SEC beat you and they beat Clemson this year. So they don't have to worry about that going forward if they lose to Clemson again. It's just Clemson beat you that year. And so I do wonder how that maybe changes the approach. And we no longer have to ask those questions if they play one of those teams in the semifinal. Hey, you just beat that team that you had this emotional tie to. How do you ramp yourself back up for a national championship? No, it's just, okay, you beat one of these teams. Now you have to go beat the other team that's on your level. And so I do wonder how that maybe changes some things for a team who likes to get obsessed about things, how they kind of handle things going forward. I do think that's a really good way to say it, that they don't, that they just lost to a really good team. And it's, and, and it's like, well, what's standing in the way of Ohio state winning a national championship? It's, I don't know. Talent. It's peak <laughs> Bama. It's not even Bama. It's peak Bama, but Saban can't coach forever. Not that everyone should just like tread water until Saban retires, but it's just hard when you get peak Bama. It's hard when you get peak Bama. All right. Question two is also about Justin Fields from the nine one nine. Do you think Fields took a step back this year? Was the inconsistency because of a new quarterback coach? He never seemed to have a bad game in 2019 and he had three bad games in 2020. Not much touch on the ball tonight. He missed a lot of short throws. So this is a, a very difficult discussion again, Nathan, because I feel like where everybody is with Justin Fields is high expectations going into Northwestern because maybe you sort of thought that the Indiana thing was a little bit of a one-time blip and it was just in the second half and they straightened it out against Michigan state. And so here we come, Justin Fields in the big 10 championship game, he'll get it back together. And then he doesn't play that well, no Chris Olave. So then you start to doubt Justin and then he goes crazy and plays the best game of his life against clubs in the semifinal. So now you're back up on Justin and then he comes out and maybe nursing the injury. And because Bama is Bama, isn't as good in the national championship game. And I think this happens a lot. Like when you're making picks for a team during a season or whatever, you can sort of either get in the rhythm with how a guy or a team is playing, or you can get out of rhythm with how a guy or a team is playing. And when you get out of rhythm and you're wrong, kind of both ways over a little stretch, it can be frustrating. And I do think that can go into people's evaluation a little bit. So, I mean, the question is if Justin took a step back, but Coming into this game, we were talking about that he basically had played quarterback against Clemson as well as anybody has ever played quarterback. So how do you even try to take this question in, Nathan? It's tough. And I, I think before I get to the point where I'm blaming other human beings, I think everyone was affected by the stops and starts of this season. It makes it very hard to evaluate an athlete especially a quarterback in some ways, because rhythm is so important. I, I think looking at the, the way the pandemic affected this season, um, I think he was probably affected by that as every player was, um, you know, mentally, maybe, and physically. Um, and he, there's all, there's all sorts of little things that go into it. Last year, the, the big 10 didn't have anything, you know, it didn't have nearly as much information to process in terms of going up against someone like Justin Fields this year, they had a whole season of stuff to scout, plus whatever he did this year to go up. Because, I mean, there's there's a lot of little things that factor into it. There were At the end of the year, there's still more special performances from him than there were bad performances. If he, that's another thing to remember here, too. I mean, those first three games were like 
freaking perfect. Michigan State game was great. And then obviously the Sugar Bowl might be one it's one of the single greatest performances in Ohio State history. So that's five of the games right there. And then not even the whole Ohio not even the whole Indiana game was like some kind of disaster. It was bad by his standards, but far above the standards of certainly the average Big Ten quarterback. So again, I, I think it's I don't know if I would say that he took a step back, but I would say that it, it is fair to say that um he wasn't as consistent as we expected, maybe especially because of the way he started the season. And I don't know how much of that was the influence again of, of opposing defenses or how much of it was just a, a season where consistency was had to be almost an afterthought by just what the season was. I'm a blimp call it. I mean, outside of that second half of the Indiana game, I'm blaming that entire month and a half of whatever that was on COVID. And I think the other thing to remember is, Last year, if there was a mistake, if there was a a point, and the Indiana game, I think, is the perfect example of this. If there was a problem in a game and, and Justin Fields in the offense hit a problem, that defense was solving it, like, immediately. And this year, that didn't happen. The Indiana game is the perfect example. Mm-hmm. When, there was, when he made a mistake, the other team could very easily capitalize on it, like, to the full extent. And I and that then that in turn ramps up the pressure for the offense when they go back out on the field. So uh, that was the Indiana game, and then obviously last night's game are the two perfect examples of that. I th- I think the COVID. I think Stevens right. You know, ninety percent. I think the thing that's going to be hard. So when everybody is dealing with something, every college team in the country, every person in America, every person around the world is dealing with COVID in their lives. So we're all in the moment. We all understand that, Hey, nothing's quite as good as usual because of COVID. So you have that context in the moment, but now as we step back and it's like, if you start comparing Justin Fields to other quarterbacks in history or other years or whatever, then you've got to throw COVID into the thing because nobody else in another year had to deal with this or no. So I think that is the main thing. I I do think I'm a, a, a there's 10% of this, which is the, any questions I had about hiring De- Corey Dennis as the quarterback's coach and in a tough time and a young guy at the position, I think that gets thrown in somewhere, but just like with the Kerry Combs discussion, I don't think you can make any conclusions about anybody based on this year. Right. So maybe you're on alert a little bit and you see how it goes next year. And that's one of the toughest things about this year is you didn't get a true evaluation of anybody. So I think step back is, is not the right word. And if there is, it's COVID. And then the other thing is if there's any frustration and we I wanted to start with Justin Fields, because as we've said, the last two years, everything started with Justin Fields. If there's any frustration here, it's that in both of his two losses, he wasn't quite himself, which is how it works. But the end of last season, he's dealing with the knee and he's not as mobile as he usually would be. And then this season, he's dealing with the hip and he's not whatever percent, right? I mean, there's kind of a debate between the ESPN people. Or they're telling, you know, I mean, it drives you nuts a little bit. It's like nobody tells you anything. And then some somebody from Ohio State standing with an ESPN reporter on the side before the game. And they say, the Ohio State official says he's at 95%. It's like, okay, whatever. He wasn't quite himself. Now, Mac Jones hurt his leg during the game and Devontae Smith dislocated his finger and Jalen Waddle. Listen, a lot of guys aren't quite themselves. But also there are times when a quarterback gets to the end of the year and is still pretty healthy. That's also not impossible, right? I mean, Joe Burrow 
I think, and it's luck, mostly, mostly luck, I think was pretty much himself most of all last season and tough, you know, whatever toughness and fighting through it. And everybody has little things, but Justin's tough and fights through it. And he took a really big shot and then maybe wasn't quite max Justin at the end, just like he wasn't quite max Justin. Not that it would have made a difference. I don't think in the end, but in terms of winning, but in terms of our evaluation of him, I think that has to get folded in there somewhere too. Question three from the 615. Did Ryan Day make a mistake this year not giving C.J. Stroud some reps? In particular, Stroud and the young cornerbacks will be counted on right away and have no reps. I think, and again, this now this now we're back in the context of it's going to be this way for a lot of teams, but I do think there will be some fallout early next year of not as many young guys got to play. It's a shortened season. It's a shortened preseason this year. Ohio state was a little bit on like, Hey, we got to be ourselves the whole time. They didn't have many blowouts. You don't have the, the preseason schedule where guys get more reps. I mean, I, it would have been nice. I think there's a world where in a normal season, you would have the, the freshman quarterbacks, whether he, Stroud Miller were splitting it or however it was each might've gotten like a, I don't know, but for the whole year, like a good solid half of actual play. And Steven, like they didn't really, get that chance like was it a mistake that ryan day didn't do it or just what do you think of the idea that we just have not really seen much of cj stroud and jack miller in actual competition it's a mistake yes um some of which is on ryan day to make that happen some of which is on the defense to make it on the actual score of the game making it possible um but also circumstances i obviously i've been watching clemson alabama all year clemson will routinely put guys in their second unit out there on purpose just to get them some type of snaps. DJ got meaningful snaps at Clemson. Next year. Even before Trevor Lawrence caught COVID, he would throw him out there for a series. I think it was, it might've been the first game of the season where he threw uh, DJ out there, just had Trevor Lawrence on the outside at wide receiver where basically he's not doing anything but standing there, but just to get DJ some actual meaningful reps that matter just in case. Somebody catches COVID and then somebody caught COVID. Bryce Young got some, I don't know how many meaningful snaps I, off the top of my, of my head he got, but he, he at least got, he's at least thrown a football in a college in a college game before. That's not the case with CJ Stroud and Jack Miller. And some of that is you only played eight games. So yeah, you probably did need to be a little bit more impressive eye test wise than those other two teams did. But also that Rutgers game, Justin kind of admitted to it. The idea that that was supposed to be the game that those two got out there and maybe got a series or two to kind of show some things, but the score didn't allow that to happen. Yeah. Greg Chiano really screwed this up. Nathan, yeah. like is mistake the right phrasing here, or was it, it just kind of didn't work out that way. What I think is tough about the conversation is we look at it now where it seems like CJ Stroud is the obvious number two at the, by the end of the season, that wasn't necessarily the case all season, though. Like, we weren't – we didn't no, see behind okay. the scenes. It's less about take, backup quarterback and more about just getting them out there to get us some, some snaps. But what I'm saying is – what I'm saying is you're, you're trying to pick between one of those – we're picking with one of those two no, now. No, no. Let's no, talk about backup quarterback. Let's make, instead of Stroud, just say backup quarterback. Their backup quarterbacks didn't play. I, I guess, yeah, I, I, I suppose I, – I don't know. I, I, I won't go all the way to say it was a mistake. Um, I, I suppose in retrospect, I think Ryan Day would look at it and say, well, I wish that I had had um, – I wish that I had played them earlier in the Michigan State game when throwing a pass was more within the, you know, um, 
what do you want to say the the uh, the fair play uh, spectrum or whatever but I think you're also just on, on this shortened of a season. Um, I think he was probably also paranoid of, of absolutely winning these games and they had goals that they had to re- try to reach for Justin too. I mean, at that time they thought that there was still, um, you know, Heisman trophy consideration or whatever. So it, it, it's, it's hard to judge some of those things in a season like this where the season was so chopped up. Um, but I think you're right. I think they're going to feel it next year. I mean, to have, it, it's going to be a really interesting battle at quarterback and, and none of them have thrown a college pass. Like when was the last time a, a team made it to a national championship game and it was going into the next season with a quarterback who has never thrown a college pass and then probably trying to live up to those expectations again. Sounds but like also, a story. Sounds yeah. like a story. Do some reason. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's, I think it's going to be a, I mean, I don't think it's ever happened. Like, like a, a team how, and, and is it realistic to have national championship aspirations if no quarterback on your roster has ever thrown a college pass yeah. and also well one won a champ well, one won a national championship after not throwing a co- after being in high school six months prior but um, had, had he thrown a college pass by the time he became the starter though you're talking about trevor lawrence yeah, yeah. like he wasn't yeah. the starter at the start yeah, of that te- year. yeah technically because they double did that weird thing where he played them both for four games which was weird but also they lost the illinois game which is another opportunity yeah. So right. It, right. Well, they lost the Illinois game. They lost the Maryland game. They yeah. lost the Michigan. There, there were three. Of, that's what I'm saying. That the shortened season also was yeah. a factor here in how many reps that those those backup quarterbacks got. I mean, the shortened season is the whole factor. I mean, the, yeah. the shortened season is the entire factor because not only did they have fewer games, they had half as many games as Clemson. Um, practically, they also had a, a jacked up off season and preseason that sort of led you to the point to trust those guys more. And I also believe you got to, I mean, Justin's here to play, man. Right. I mean, like you're trying to get Justin the Heisman and he's only got, you know, at most nine games to do it. And then three get whacked and you're going to take him out, not let him. So I don't think it was a mistake. I do think it's unfortunate and I do think it has some repercussions, but also we are all past the point of saying that you can't win with a young quarterback because there's too many examples of, of that. You can, but it's going to be hard and they are going to be viewed. I think going in the next season, I th- everybody had their too early top 25 already be already out. I think ESPN at Ohio state fifth. And it cracks me up in that stuff. I mean, it's like, it's I, like we always say, it's no offense. People are writing about 25 different teams. They didn't, they don't know anything about Ohio state. It's I'll tell you, all I'll tell you right now. I've, I vote in the AP poll and it's hard enough to do this in August, let alone January. It's insane to do it. It means nothing to do it in January. No, I mean, it's just perception. It's just that everybody, they read what all the local beat writers write. So don't go read the Ohio State thing about the breakdown. They don't know what they're talking about. But they are going to be perceived as being a little behind. Like Oklahoma is going to be perceived higher going into next year than Ohio State is because they have Spencer Rattler coming back. You know what I mean? And like, that's just going to be. And we, you saw Clemson's going to have a new quarterback, but people saw DJ. To your point, Stephen, people got a taste of him. Nobody got a taste of C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, or Kyle McCord, whoever wins this. So people aren't going to view Ohio State the same way going into next year. I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was an unfortunate reality of the truncated season that has some effect. All right, getting off quarterback a little bit from the 615. Any advice for dealing with people who say that's why a team who played seven games shouldn't be in the title game? But then those people would also say that they were more rested because they played seven games if Ohio State won. So this is a person that if someone is, is out to sort of criticize Ohio State either way that, hey, they won because they were rested. Hey, they lost. They never should have been there. 
I, I think by the end of this season, the argument about the shorter season kept Ohio State from figuring some things out and that hurt them is a pretty compelling argument. I mean, it is not, it is not a slam dunk, that's it, end of discussion. But I think you could look at some of the things with Ohio State, especially defensively last night, and they just never got to work it out, which we've talked about. But if you want to explain that to the person you're arguing with, I would say, I mean, unless you're going to say, sorry, you didn't play enough games, you just shouldn't be allowed. They overcame some stuff playing fewer games, still beat Clemson, but that was borne out, I thought, Nathan, and that they still never exactly got the defense straightened out and the shortened season worked against them. I think I think it absolutely worked against them to have the shortened season because of the development time, both in terms of the guys who are playing the f- first string minutes, the first string reps, and then what they're trying to develop depth behind them. I think also just the choppy nature of the season also held them back. I do, though, again, watching last night, I, I wonder – I mean, I, I just, I, I don't think, I don't think the talent was there on this defense to have beaten Alabama last night. So that's the other thing here too. It's that it cost them, but, but really, to what extent did it cost them? Was, was, was an extra couple of games going to have made all those DBs better and made the defensive somebody on that defensive line something closer to Chase Young? Like, I just, I don't know that all of that adds up to them still beating Alabama. So it, it may not have. I think it hurt them. I don't know that it cost them maybe that's the better way to say it I, I agree with that I think this team peaked at getting to the national championship game and losing to one of the best teams of all time so let me let me follow up with that one from the 650 this team accomplished a lot given all that they went through in a normal year with normal prep does this team become a death machine akin to Alabama or at least closer to Alabama's level and that's from Jackson it seems like both you guys are kind of saying no there's there's a talent ceiling on this defense in particular that more time might have helped but it wasn't going to it wasn't going to change things fundamentally well and also as far as this this death machine idea again we talked about it after the game last night that it was really the offense that didn't jump up and match expectations last night but i again i don't know it isn't because the offensive line wasn't great they had some injury they had some some um some missing personnel there at times last night, but so that wasn't really something that development would have helped them. Um, it wasn't because they hadn't figured out the running back situation because they had, but then he got hurt last night again. Like, I don't, I don't know what extra weeks would have necessarily done to make that offense so much better last night that it would have still kept up with Alabama. Yeah. Maybe you find out Trey Sermon is this awesome two or three weeks before the big 10 championship game. Cause it's more games, yes. but then you still, but then you still lost them. So you're still dealing with the fact that, oh, you found this awesome running back, and now you can't use him anyway. That, I think, is the right point, Stephen. You, f- you would have figured out Sermon earlier. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. And that's why, I mean, you just hate this kind of thing. It it, we have to just uh, – the, the Trey Sermon absence just percolates throughout every discussion. And you don't want to make excuses, but you can't ignore the reality. But I did think we all felt like the offense in the cleansing game got to the peak got to everything it could be quarterback receivers, tight end, offensive line, running back. They did get to that point. It took them longer because the season was shortened, but it's not like they never got there. I do think with the defense, 
they did enough things. Marcus Williamson is back playing deep safety at the end of the year in a way that he wasn't doing early. Marcus Hooker, who starts the season as the only safety on the field, by the end is not around. Whatever the reason, we don't have an indication that there was anything physical about it because he was on special teams, I guess, right? Like he's available Mm -hmm. and they're playing Josh Proctor and Marcus Williamson deep and they're playing Lathan Ransom in the slot and they're doing that. And they still, they never were going to have enough talent defensively, but maybe they would have gotten to something where Lathan Ransom's a little more involved earlier. Maybe they would have gotten to something with, another young corner who never quite got in there. They did wind up not only with being a step short talent wise in the secondary, they still never exactly figured out where everybody should play. And so some of those guys who maybe were a step short from the elite Ohio state talent were also sort of like, what's my job here. And then you end up with Devonte Smith against tough Borland. And that's that. Right. So I do think that that also factored in um, that you weren't going to solve anything, but, for a, a secondary that was lacking some things, the, the lack of games also exacerbated the existing issues. They were never going to be great, but I do think they also never reached how good they could have been. If they were never going to be more than, a, than an eight, let's say, as a secondary out of 10, I mean, they didn't even, they didn't get to the eight. So that, I do think that's true. Talking about Trey Sermon's absence, question number six. From the 513, not saying these are the only reasons, but if you had to split 100% of the blame for the loss between Tommy Togiai and Trey Sermon not playing, how would you split it? Obviously, this translates into a balanced, um, is it the offense or is it lack of defensive line pressure question, but humor me with the division by the players. So you have 100%. I'll go first. I think it's more probably like, 75% 75% Sermon, 25% Togiai, just based on what we said about Sermon in the last two podcasts. But Nathan, you also, I mean, we're making the point that from the get-go, when people, when we were talking before the game in the text thread about, is Waddle going to play? How much of a difference is that? And you were making the point that, well, the bigger deal is that definitely Tyreek Smith and Tommy Togiai aren't going to play. So I don't want to take away from the fact that Togiai would have made a difference. It's just, I think I, I, think sermon is such a big deal i'll go 75 25 where are you nathan it's not that high for me i think it's more probably like 60 40 maybe 65 35 on the sermon side and that's only because i think he really had found something that set him apart from master teague obviously late in the season there was obviously a time this season where it was interchangeable or you would have even rather had teague on the field but clearly late in the season, he was running in a different way. I think he would have helped last night. Again, do I know? Do, would it have been enough to win the game? I don't know. But I think it might have made the difference in a, a couple of those drives. And as we talked about last night, um, one or two drives in this game makes a difference. But you can also say that about defense. Like, think about it. It's 21-17 late in the first half, and Alabama drives down and gets that one more touchdown before halftime. If Ohio State just stops them there – holds them to a field goal after halftime. And then like that game plays out in a very different way, I think. So you could, you can make a strong case that, that, that Togiai was such a difference maker all season that it's, it's hard to judge what that defense could have done after pulling him off the field completely. So I said it's 75 sermon, 25 Togiai. You're going less sermon than that. Cause then you started talking a lot about sermon. You're less sermon, but still majority sermon. 
Okay. So like 65, 35. Okay. Steven, where are you? Wow. I'm, I'm way off where you guys are. I'm 85% 15 sermon and maybe even pushing 90, 10, just because yes, Tommy Togiai was great this year, but stopping the one run wasn't the issue last night. Najee Harris was, Oh, well, he's not, he does more than stop the run. I know he does. I know. I know. But the pressure, the Ohio State wasn't getting a lot of sacks anyway throughout the season, and Najee Harris didn't run all over the place. As we've been talking about, the problem wasn't Ohio State couldn't stop Alabama from scoring. They weren't going to do that anyway. The problem is they couldn't score, and that started when you lost Trey Sermon. You lost a lot of what made this offense so explosive because you lost a running game. And so because of that, it has because of how the game played out, it has to be the guy on offense who would have provided scoring for you. Yeah, well, I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, no, I, I, I again, and I, I'm majority sermon as well. I'm just, I want to reserve, I want to, uh, I, I want to give some, some respect to Tommy Togai here too, and especially like, think there were some really critical situations, like there was like a fourth and goal that Alabama scored on that was just a run up the gut that he might have made a difference on. There were some other plays early in this game where having Tommy Togai not having to- Tommy Togai on the field, I thought was conspicuous. So, okay, so how many points is he worth? How many more stops does Ohio State get if Tommy Togiai plays? I think in an absolute best-case scenario, I could envision a world where he theoretically could have been worth theoretically 14 points in a game like this. That if you They just did not force them to punt when it mattered yeah. early on. And if he can get a little pressure, interior pressure, and blow up the pocket a little bit and just maybe you know blow up one play – out of three that forces them into a third and long or something. I think that's possible, but the idea that Trey Sermon changes the whole game plan and that you would have scored quite a bit more than 24. If you had the best of Trey Sermon, which is, I think where you're going, Steven, mm-hmm. I, I think we agree with that. You, what would you say Trey's worth? Do you think in that, in, a, in that game? At least 21 and 28 is getting hyperbolic. That's why I didn't go there, but at least 21 points. Because at, at peak, if he's his best, if he's yeah, if he's his best, it's it maybe even be 28 just because there's now the opportunity that he's gotten going. And as we saw against Clemson and as we saw plenty of times this season, play action, Chris Olave, play action, Garrett Wilson. So 28 might uh, is 21 to 28 points, which would have been enough to win you the game. Even well, with it, Alabama scoring 50. Well, it would have gotten you. No, it wouldn't. Have, I mean, they lost by 28. It, I, I don't. I do think I'm not, I would not say they lost the game because they didn't have Trey Sermon. I think Trey Sermon is the guy that who gives them the chance yeah. to score with them, to trade scores, trade scores, trade scores. And they didn't trade scores long enough. He would have made a difference in the red zone when they kicked the field goal. And so that would have made it 21, 21 instead of 21, 17. I mean, at the, at where does it really apply? I think for sure. I thought I felt that in the play calling in the moment there. I think they would have even set themselves up to run on third down maybe, and then go on fourth down rather than what they did. But also it does, it just changes the game plan. So I, I, that's top end. And also maybe, maybe Bama's just really good and bottles him up too, mm-hmm. but that's not the, the, the Trey sermon we saw for two games. I think it's possible that he would have changed things a lot. All right. Let's do a Sean Wade question from the five one seven is Sean Wade going to regret coming back and showing that he isn't a top level outside corner when going up against top talent. So listen, these guys get one life. They do the best they can. This is really important to them. 
you know, we're just laying that down, but also it's big boy school. You show up at Ohio State. This comes with the territory a little bit. This has been a, a one of the five biggest topics of discussion all year, Nathan. This move by Sean Wade and his level of play. However you want to discuss it. Should he not have come back? Should he have come back and played in the slot? Why didn't he play better on the outside? Whatever. This is the Sean Wade discussion. It's, it's Steven and I were talking about this in the car last night, and it's like I, – I, did he hurt himself by coming back this season to play outside corner? Well, he didn't play outside corner last year. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I, he still wouldn't have shown it if he had left last year. I don't think it would have helped his, his draft situation that much um, coming out last year. And as far as like what it, it certainly wouldn't have, it certainly wasn't good for Ohio state. If he doesn't come back, I mean, all these things we're talking about with the secondary, I know people want to criticize Sean Wade. I want you to just imagine what this defense would have looked like without Sean Wade back there this season. I mean, my God, once Cam Brown got hurt, my God, like what, what, did, what do you think you're putting out there at that point? No offense to those guys, but Oh my God. So, like, I, I, the criticism that I think has gone a little bit too far on Sean Wade, I know that he didn't play up to a Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett level. I also know that he didn't have Jeff Okuda or Damon Arnett on the other side, as both of those guys did last season. He didn't have Chase Young up front. There were some other factors there. I don't think he's going to be satisfied with how he played this year. I think NFL teams are probably going to tell him that he did not play like a NFL outside corner this year. So that all that means is he's probably going to be a safety in the NFL or a nickel corner or something like that, which means he's going to go have a, probably a productive career in life going forward. Um, so no, I, I think absolutely he didn't, it, there should be no regrets on his part that he came back. I mean, they, they got the national championship game. All right, Steven, Sean Wade discussion. No, I just think NFL teams know what he is now and he's not a number one outside corner. He's a strong safety or a nickelback or whatever that, is, which is fine. There's money there too for NFL players to be made. It's just not a top 10 pick. Like we thought he was going to be coming into the season. So it's, He's fine. He's, he's, he's going to have a role. He might still be a first rounder. He just will be a late first rounder and they'll find other things to do with him in the secondary, depending on where he goes. I mean, if you can't look back to what Sean Wade did last year and the way he played last year and see how that could translate to a long role in the NFL, then I, I don't know what you're looking at. People get so wrapped up in draft position and not nearly wrapped up enough in longevity like getting up there and improving you belong there and staying there they get it gets all wrapped up about the number that gets attached to your draft status and we do it too but it, i think he's definitely a guy who can get in the nfl and play defensive back for a long time i mean you get more money if you get drafted higher but you've made the point sure. before the second contract's a big deal too right um i do think uh i think the point of he he showed what he can and can't do and we've talked about it before. I think it applies to football and basketball. I think sometimes you're better off leaving the mystery. And it's like not proving that, okay, it's great to prove you can do it, but you also don't want to prove you can't do it exactly, right? Sometimes the mystery, they, they might pick you on talent, but I think there was enough mystery about outside corner with him that he that would not have worked for him. To just be like, well, I've never really played it, but assume that I can do it and take me in the top 20. I think, it, I think the reasons that he came back, and this is the thing, he did come back to do all the other stuff, but they were very vocal. Randy and Sean made it very clear from the get-go that it was about a primary consideration, not the only, but a primary consideration was coming back to play outside corner for the draft stock, for the development of the player. So it wasn't only a team thing. There's a lot of things that go into it, but he wasn't as good as people expected him to be. I think he is a good slot corner, but 
when you would have coupled, as we've talked about, sort of the two-year recruiting lull in the secondary, plus, and not dependent on a guy, they had a five-star who never developed in Tyreek Johnson at corner. Yeah. So you fall a little short in recruiting in general. One of the guys that you're relying on never develops. They tried to play him this year, and they were like, nope, that's not it. Then you add in the Cam Brown injury, and then you add in – we just got a note from Jerry Emig as I – as we talk here update trace sermon is doing well and he will be traveling back to columbus today so the team was always scheduled to fly back today so that's that's good news for (laughs) trace Sermon. and now we're on the text chain where everyone's going to do thumbs up and say thanks and my phone's going to buzz 19 times but yes that combination recruiting lull tyreek johnson lack of development cam brown injury and sean wade went to the nfl very good point nathan that he maybe he wasn't as good as some people wanted him to be, and even as good as Sean wanted to be, but he was still clearly one of the two best options they had at outside corner. I mean, I I, I don't even know who would have been up because you would have said, okay, well, if he doesn't come back at seven banks and Cam Brown at outside corner, once Cam Brown went down and Tyreek Johnson couldn't do it, I don't even I literally don't. I mean, I, I literally don't know where they would have gone because they literally did not play anybody else, right? There, there was nowhere to go. That, I mean, I don't. They don't beat it. They probably don't beat Indiana. That, they that's probably how, don't beat Indiana. I agree with that, and that Tyree Johnson thing is rough because that's five star who's not playable. Let alone not just he's not developed into you know all American first round draft pick. He's just what Seven Banks was this year. He's not playable. Yeah, and that is development malfunction to its to a peak. And I don't even know which of the assistant coaches to blame that on, whether it's. Grinch or Tabor Johnson or Combs. I don't know who to blame that on. And well, it's, you know, Steven, you do a, a recruiting breakdown before each of these matchups. And I think your breakdown pointed out the balance of like five stars that Ohio state had on defense compared to Alabama. But look at who those five stars were on yeah. defense. It's it, Johnson who doesn't play. And then like Hilliard and Browning who are both very, very good players and Hilliard playing the best football of his career, but not like elite college football players, mm-hmm. right? Not not all Americans, yeah. But but right. at least but at least playable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, but, but <laughs> you're, you're right. Were, yeah, you're yeah. They're not all Americans, but they they didn't cl- completely live up to the five star billing that they had coming in the school coming into college. But they're at least playable. Well, but, well, they're, but they're they're five stars in in prospect talent. They were four stars in terms of what they actually did with their careers. Yeah. Yeah, and like that Chase, equates over time. Chase, Chase Young and Chase Young and Jeff Okuda were five-star players, were five-star recruits who became five-star players. Yeah, six-star players. <laughs> I mean, so that's <laughs> yeah. Tyreek Johnson and Chase Young were similar, <laughs> were similar recruits, and so yeah. And listen, nobody goes a hundred percent on five stars. I mean, that's not. It's not like Ohio State has a developmental problem. It's just it. It happened to be that in the midst of all these other things that we just talked about, that really would have been a time for that five-star at that position in that recruiting class to really hit. That really would have helped, and it didn't happen. All right, we'll take a quick break. Who's coming back next year? Spring game prospects. We'll talk about angry Bama. We will talk about Bill Davis briefly. We'll be back next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. This is sort of folding into the discussion we just had from the 330. Not a question, but how much did Bill Davis and Tabor Johnson actually set this group back? My goodness. Uh, and that's what we're talking about. That was that, uh, that little period there 
at the end of the urban era where, where when Luke Fickle left, they replaced him with Bill Davis. When Kerry Combs left, they replaced him with Tabor Johnson. And I think at corner and at, and then they brought in Alex Grinch, who didn't do a great job. At corner, at linebacker, and at safety to some degree, they hit a little two-year patch or a year and a half where they were not as good as they usually were in recruiting and development, and that was borne out in this season and in this game. When we talk about all the things with the defense, you know what, what we've been talking about with the defense all year. The question is, why did that happen? And that's why. So that's, that's what happened, and now those coaches aren't here anymore, and they're doing a better job. I think Kerry Combs, for whatever criticism he's getting right now as a coordinator, I don't know that anybody doubts Kerry Combs as a recruiter and a developer of talent. And his two-year absence had an effect. It absolutely had an effect. Nobody doubts Luke Fickle as a recruiter and a developer of talent. His two-year absence had an effect. Now they have Al Washington and Greg Madison in there recruiting and developing linebackers, and it's going to get better. But I, I just think that showed up here, and it's the why for the thing that we've talked about all season. So I'm the Bill Davis writer, so we can move on from that. From the 405, do Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Trey Sermon, Jonathan Cooper, Wyatt Davis, Sean Wade, any of them come back since this year doesn't count for eligibility and because the season and the game ended the way it did. There's always a question along these lines. We don't know anything. This would be a time in a normal year where you're in the locker room trying to get a sense from guys, having conversations that aren't publicly on a Zoom. There are a lot of guys that are going to have decisions. Um, we don't know. But the wrinkle to this is eligibility. Literally anybody in college football who played this year, who wants to play next year can play. It doesn't matter what your eligibility was because this year didn't count. So that's a wrinkle that's added in. I don't know how much it's going to matter, but Stephen, I think we can talk specifically about guys who may or may not be back. We also can do that in the next couple of podcasts or the general idea of having the extra year slash having a season and not the way you want. How does it factor into the thought process? I don't think anybody that you just listed off is going to come back for that reason. I think Jonathan Cooper, um, him sitting out and kind of taking in the moment that it feels like this is his last college football game and he wasn't able to win a national championship kind of leads towards that. Obviously Marcus Williamson is coming back. Um, but I, Justin Hilliard, I don't think, I think he said he wasn't coming back um, on a zoom call earlier this week, last week. I, I, I don't think, but that list of Justin Wyatt and Sean, especially they're, and they're not coming back. I, I think what gets interesting is whatever Josh Myers decides to do, here in the next couple of hours, which it's technically the day after the national championship game. But I think those initial guys of, they would have gone pro had they had the season not been canceled, had the season not been brought back, they would have gone pro anyway. I don't think they're coming back. Nathan, what do you think of how any of this, the, the weirdness of the season and how it ended, has it factor in? I guess the only one that might be lingering out there is Haskell Garrett, who said that he was, earlier this season was thinking about coming back. I mean, he's a guy that I think would have a role in the NFL after the season he just had, but uh, maybe he wants to know what would happen if he had a, a full other college season now where he doesn't get shot in the face right before the season. Again, I feel like every time we bring that up, we, we sound glib about it, but I mean, that's that, that definitely think of what he did this year under those circumstances. Um, so that's one. And I think it would be a, a, a a huge plus for this team to take someone who was, you know, lower level, all American status and throw them back in the middle of that defense. 
that's really the one that's not a that's not an, an underclass NFL decision, though, obviously. Right. I mean, that's a that's a senior maybe taking advantage of the extra year. I guess that's a semantic argument uh, uh, as far as guys, you know, as far as the the, the underclassmen. I mean, I, I don't I don't know that I, I think everything's going to play out the way that we expected. Yeah, I don't, I don't think much of anything is going to have an impact. I don't think the extra eligibility is going to have a huge deal for anybody. And I don't think like, hey, we didn't we didn't beat Bama. I want to come back to do that. I don't think that's going to have a much of an impact for anybody. Cause I think, I do think, let me ask this. Does this program and these players, do they feel like they leave this season with unfinished business? I don't think they do. I think they got, you lost to Bama, but you did everything else. Like as much like last year, you felt you had unfinished business because you thought you were as good as Clemson. You weren't as good as Alabama this year. You did everything else. You got to play. I don't think there's some tug of like, oh man, I can't go out this way. You guys are both seeming like agreeing with that. I, I, I just don't yeah. think that's where their heads are. Yeah, again, no, I, like I said before, it's I think I think there was every reason to look at that 2017 2018 window and say. Ohio State is going to have a, a a window of national championship opportunity, and then LSU and Alabama came along and redefined what that looked like. I just even when you look back on last year, as good as that defense was, you still had Justin Fields at a high level. You had J.K. Dobbins. You had a really good offensive line. Nobody is sitting here saying, "Oh, absolutely." If Ohio State had gotten to play LSU, they would have won. It was it's such a it's such a travesty that that they lost that game against Clemson because they obviously would have beaten LSU. Like nobody, I don't think is looking at it that way. I think that what a national championship gets was redefined by how those two teams emerged. And for that reason, I think you, it, it goes back to what we started this whole thing about, like how you define the success of these two seasons. Yeah. I don't think when we talked to McMurati sometime this spring, he's going to come in saying, Oh, they're going to have, we have the scoreboard of the Alabama game up in the weight room. Like they did with the, now if they do, it's because they're psychopaths and it's what, athletes do but it's not going to be because of how the game played out There's, it's not that type of feeling it's just we lost the national championship and we don't want to lose next year i do think it feels like a transitional year to me and a lot of that is tied to the quarterback but they're going to be breaking in a new quarterback next year and so a lot of times i think you can feel that in a program and are you sort of if you're sort of one of the older guys and now it feels like okay well like what's next year going to be well next year's going to be paris johnson and Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith Najigba. And it's going to be like Garrett Wilson's team, but it's going to be Paris Johnson. And it's going to be Kyle McCord and CJ Stroud and Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor and Jack Sawyer. And do you want to be like sort of the, one of the few, not, I don't want to say it the wrong way. Do you want to hang on and be like the old guy, the veteran to that group while most of your guys left? Or would you just say my guys left, my time here is over. I'm going to go see what's next. You know what I mean? I, I do think that stuff matters. And that it's not that you all make your decision to, together necessarily, but if you're on the fence and you see, all right, well, Justin's going and Olave's going and Wyatt Davis is going and, and you know, Coop's going and Fair Munford's going and Luke Farrell's going. And it's like, well, are you going to hang around? So I, I think there, it could lead to guys who we don't expect maybe going also because there are some underclassmen things here but it's like i don't know there's going to be some guys that could surprise us i mean ruckert's got a decision tyreek smith has a decision um i think like nicholas petit frere we all think that might have a decision there are certain guys that might have decisions here and 
and things could lean a certain way and that this becomes a pretty young team in a hurry. So there's no reason to freak out about it. They'll be okay. But it really could be more of a transitional year at Ohio State than we've had in, in a bit, in a bit. Justin Hilliard was the best player in Ohio State's 2015 recruiting class. Who would have thought on signing day that year that he'd be the last member of that class still playing for Ohio State? I mean, it's injuries, man. Injuries really – Like, that's crazy. You, know, you hate it. You hate to see it. But, uh, yeah, when that guy came, everybody – I mean, people thought he was he was A.J. Hawk. Um, all right. Talking about this 2021 roster. From the 859, how concerned are you next year with the roster that might even be taking another step down from 2019? So, Nathan, we talked about this on the on the postgame pod, trying to figure out was, was this most recent season, Ryan Day's – you know, worst quote roster, or will it be next season? Um, as people are looking ahead, I don't know. I don't know if whatever the concern, it's one of those things that levels of concern with Ohio state have to be taken in, in account in context, but how much concern is there because of all the things we've just been talking about? I mean, I guess it depends on how you define concern. It just seems like when you take a, a unanimous all American off the offensive line and possibly up to three other starters off the offensive line, when you take off, these two defensive tackles who were just such a, a catalyst for this defense this year. And that's assuming Tommy Togiai leaves early and Haskell Garrett decides not to come back. When you take away the best defensive end from that group or the one who performed the best this year, Jonathan Cooper, but obviously there's some other guys on that, on that end group that could step up where you're taking away the linebackers who the linebackers behind them could never beat out despite what all these, a lot of fans see as deficiencies in some of those linebackers. When you take off Sean Wade, who, as we just said, was the, the one guy in that secondary who um, had some ceiling to him um, other than maybe seven banks who kind of came into his own. I thought the season one, I, you just start to pile up a lot of questions. And again, you're going to be starting a first year, guy at quarterback no matter who wins it who has never won the job before and to say that first year quarterbacks have won national championships doesn't mean every first year quarterback is going to automatically go out and blow the doors off the place so they're just there's the margin for error drops next year I think not that it's ever very hot not that it's ever very wide when you're trying to win a national championship because every loss is huge but I think there's less margin for error next year within the big 10 um, and, and certainly if you get to a playoff situation that this doesn't seem like a, a team that as of right now, that's built in to just blow the doors off of people. Level of concern, Steven. Out of 10, maybe a six right now, but then we'll get to spring and maybe I'll be at a four after you start talking to people. Uh, I, I think, yeah, they, they're losing a lot of guys, but this is a team who's constantly been able to reload and, put out a new one of the best teams in the big 10 at least since i've been covering this team so i i, I don't know it's, it's easy to be concerned in the moment because you know what you're losing but you know th- there's a lot behind there that could could end up popping next year so I'm, I'm a little less concerned than maybe i should be right now so listen here's the deal the third year guys are who drive you right because mm-hmm. the third year guys are like you're getting peak them before the that first crop of a recruiting class goes to the nfl so let's just think about Going into the 2019 season, the third year guys that you had from the 2017 class that were going to be driving you and what you knew about them in the moment going into 2019, Thayer Munford, Pete Warner, Haskell Garrett, Josh Myers, J.K. Dobbins, Wyatt Davis, Sean Wade, Baron Browning, Jeff Okuda, Chase Young. Okay. 
That's what you knew about them. You you had a pretty high level of expectation going into 2019 based on who your third-year guys were going to be because you thought some of those guys had started to pop in year two in a big way, right? I mean, you knew you knew what you were getting with those guys. This is the full 2019 class. These are the third-year guys going into next season. Zach Harrison, Garrett Wilson, Harry Miller, Jamison Williams, Cade Stover, Ronnie Hickman, Enoch Vamahi, Steel Chambers, Ryan Jacoby, Tommy Eichenberg, Noah Potter, Marcus Crowley, Bryson Shaw, Cormonte Hamilton, Craig Young, Jaden McKenzie, and Dewan Jones. That's what we're talking about. Those are your third-year guys, and we don't we know almost nothing about any of them other than the top four. And we're not even still sure what exactly what Jamison Williams is. But we have Harry Miller, Garrett Wilson, Zach Harrison, who are all five stars. And then we don't really know anything. So that's where we are. So that's going to be, that's different. That's different than two years ago, for sure. And this season helped add to the uncertainty because we didn't get to see some of those guys play. Ronnie Hickman might end up being a great player next year, right? I mean, he's a big time recruit. He might be. We haven't, we just haven't seen it very much. Haven't had the chance to see it, but that's also a recruiting class. That's not a top two recruiting class in the country. That's like a top 10 recruiting class in the country. And that is actually ranked 14th in the country. That makes a difference. That's what's coming next year as your third year guys. So if you don't have some fourth and fifth year guys prop it up, and I do wonder if there might be some coaching, they might be really asking some of these guys to come back potentially. I don't know that they will, but they could have an opening to say some of these fourth year, fifth year, maybe even sixth year guys to say, come back and play. We need you. We need you to lead this group, but they're going to be a little short in those third year guys compared to where they normally are. I think it's, you got to pay attention to that 2018 class. Because I think there was some good talent there, but I don't think any of them are good enough to leave for the NFL after three years. And then also to the point you were making about the 2017 class, how some of those guys started showing it in 2018 when they were sophomores. I think there's going to be some 2020 guys who are going to have to do that as well, which I think Ohio State knew that, which is why that class is what it is. Whether it's obviously Paris at the top of it, Julian Fleming and Paris Johnson Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba, but also G. Scott could go from, you know, being a guy who was basically special teams to having a, a significant role next year. Cody Simon the same way, Luke Woodward the same way. So I think between those two things, it kind of, it can maybe offset the fact that you didn't during the transitional recruiting class, you didn't have as much because you went super talented in the two classes that surround it. And that 2018 class, as we said, I mean, that's, there's still some guys there, Teron Vincent, right? What could that guy still be? Uh, Tyreek Smith, have we seen the peak of Tyreek Smith? Ruckert, if Ruckert stays, have we seen peak Ruckert? Taraja Mitchell, still kind of waiting for him to get a shot. Again, this is that linebacker group, the Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gantt, Kayvon Pope linebacker group. If Togei stays, Matthew Jones will probably be a starter next year the way he played when he filled in this year. Josh Proctor, could Josh Proctor pop to All-American status? Tyler Friday still around. Um, that's what we're talking about, that 2018 group. That there, Javante Jean-Baptiste, what could he still be? Does Seven Banks make the leap, right? Master Teague, Cam Brown. There, there still are some really good players in 2018 that we still don't know that much about. So this is another question related to that, and it's a tough one. We don't know. We'll only talk about it for the next eight months. This is different than the Clemson loss last year. We should have beaten Clemson last year. This year, totally unprepared from the jump. Ohio State had – had no business being in this game, but they did their best. So um, I'm really, really disappointed. Time to sulk for a few weeks. But this person is also advocating for Kyle McCord and Travion Henderson to start next year. 
So this is the kind of thing that sports writers like to talk about. Ohio State's probably not going to do it. But what if they just said, the heck with it. We're going to play. We have this great recruiting class. We're going to play all of them, take our lumps. And then in 22 and 23, we're going to be awesome because Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jaden Ballard and Trevion Henderson and Evan Pryor and all these dudes came in and got huge, humongous reps right away. Not that, of course, you add them into the the sophomore receivers and everything. What do you think, Steve? It's not going to happen, but it's a fun podcast topic. Uh, No, uh, that's not. I mean, they did it with Braxton Miller in 2011, but they didn't have a choice. They had to play the true freshman. They did it with. They don't JG. have a choice next year. They're starting a freshman. They do have, they're going to pass regardless. They do. They don't. All right, but it doesn't have to be the freshman who just showed up, who will show up on campus in two weeks. It can be the freshman who's at least been in the program for a year. But I, it's the idea of: is there any reason that you would lean to the true freshman because no. you're willing to take lumps? No, you're not going to purposely put yourself in a position where you might lose some games. You're going to play the best guy. If it happens to be Stroud, to be Stroud. I mean, happens to be McCord, to be McCord. I mean, this this the question that they're asking, quarterback and running back aren't the positions where right. to, to ask that about. Because, it's. I mean, they're going to start a, a freshman quarterback, either a redshirt freshman quarterback or a true freshman quarterback next year that, that that's happening and the Trevion Henderson thing I don't think of running back I think there's he's if he is what he is he's dynamic enough that he may just earn that starting spot regardless it, it wouldn't be giving reps to a young guy for developmental reasons he may be the best running back on this roster this spring we don't know that yet I think where it's more interesting is to look at maybe the secondary and say hey some of these guys are not as refined as Marcus Williamson or um whoever else cam brown seven banks but they deserve we need to get them on the field now for what they could be two years from now that we're willing to take a little bit of a a lump somewhere because it makes us so much better two or three years down the line that's where i think the argument is more interesting and they're not going to do it so there's no spence in talking about it too long because we've long figured out that there are no rebuild years at ohio state just when you think they're taking a step back is when they you know, they were super young in 2016 and they made the playoff. So they're not going to do it, but I kind of understand it. Like I almost advocate for that kind of thing. It's like, just, it's, you know, you want to be loyal to every group of older guys and you want to give everybody a chance and you don't want to give up on a season, but sometimes you take a couple lumps. And then when you come out the back end, you might come out. If you took a couple lumps in 2021 doing this, you might come out in 2022 and 2023 as like the national title favorite. Right. I mean, I, that might be too much, but that's how you, sometimes that's how it works. At least it's how it used to work. Maybe it doesn't work that way anymore. And, and especially at a program like Ohio State. But I, I get the idea. It's not going to happen, but I kind of get the idea. So we keep looking ahead with this from the 330. Three things bummed about the outcome. Tip my cap to Bama. Great spring game. The spring game should be one of the most interesting in years with the quarterback battle, the freshman running backs and a defensive rebuild. That's from Luke in the three, three Oh, I like springs where you don't know exactly Steven, how things are going to go. I hope for the sake of the team, for the sake of the fans, for the sake of the country and the world that we're moderately back to normal, that they can have a somewhat normal spring practice. I really, really hope that we can have a spring game. Um, but it is going to be fun, Stephen, because we have a lot of questions right now, don't we? There are a lot of – and we'll, we'll go through it. We will get to that, if not this week, then next week, projected depth charts and that kind of thing. But there are battles all over the place. So many battles. I think if we get a 
hopefully we get a spring game. To the idea we were talking about last night on the podcast, if we all pick a quarterback, I think we should just spend the we should spend half of our time tracking that quarterback every time he's on the field, no matter what what unit he's with, whether it's the ones or the twos, and seeing how they play out. Because I think that makes for an interesting post. But yeah, I, I, this is it's a it's a it's a fresh start where you literally don't know because even in 2019 when Justin Fields got here, you knew you knew who the starting quarterback was, you knew who the starters were all over the place. Outside, even at wide receiver, outside of honestly Garrett Wilson, we don't know anything. Offensive line, depending on what's the, what Nicholas Petit Frere does, you don't know anything, especially on the interior, running back, uh, secondary linebacker. This is I, I don't know when the last time Ohio State has had this many positions where it was just like I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. Are you excited, Nathan? Good spring, interesting spring. I think it's going to be a fascinating spring. I think it's. It, it, I mean, you can look at almost every unit, right? I mean, we, you know, we know, we, like you say, we know Garrett Wilson. We know Harry Miller will probably start on the offensive line. Um, and obviously MPF, if he comes back and Zach Harrison is probably a defensive end. I mean, you can look at just every, 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 every position group. Um, it's, it's going to be a fascinating spring and it's, it's going to be here really fast. I mean, we're going to, you know, we were joking about how we're going to come up with five podcasts a day. I mean, you could do one podcast a day um, about or five podcasts a week, I should say. I mean, you could do one, one a day about a different position group and springs can be here before you know it. I mean, and, and I think that in the, and it's, it's not just position battles though. I think it's at every position group. It's going to go back to the question we were just asking, like when they answer this, when this battle is over, when they answer, who's going to play is that, is the talent on this team enough this year? I think there's more of that going into this year, right? There's got to be more like more scrutiny of that. Um, is, is this, you know, playoff level talent or is that going to dip this year and where does it cost them? Well, I think, as you said, the interesting thing is there is playoff level talent. There's going to be playoff level talent on the 2021 team. that might just be really young. So do they do they play it? Do they lean toward it? Do they not? Let's just do this real quick because I'm in the mood to do it. And I, I haven't been on the 11 Warriors snap count for a while. Let's run down some of the 11 Warriors snap counts and just remind people of like who's back and who's not. All right. Very quickly, because I was just trying to do it in my head of like what sure things do you know are going to be back on defense? And I only got to three because it mm-hmm. depends on like if Tommy Togiai and Tyreek Smith come back, but like, I think I got the Josh Proctor, Seven Banks, and Zach Harrison for sure. And I didn't, I didn't find another one because there's not any at linebacker. You don't know Cam Brown's health status. You don't know if Haskell Garrett's coming back. You don't know about the other defensive ends. So let's do this real quick. So Justin Fields will be gone. You don't know anything about quarterback. Trey Sermon will be gone. Master Teague next up. He'll be back, but we're expecting the young running backs to absolutely push him from the get-go. Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams and Jackson Smith, the Jigba, all the receivers will be back except for Chris Olave. But the young receivers played so little, most of them, you don't know exactly how that's going to shake out. Luke Farrell will be gone. Jeremy Ruckert, you don't know. If Ruckert's not back, tight end, you know nothing about. To Cade Stover, I guess, but you don't know anything. Wyatt Davis, gone. Thayer Munford, gone. Josh Myers is going to make an announcement here. You'll probably know it by the time this podcast comes out, but certainly could be gone. Nicholas Petit Frere could be gone. And then it's down to Harry Miller as the only starter. And then even at the end of the year, he didn't start in the national championship game, um, but he'll be one of the starters next year, but potentially you're replacing four starters on the offensive line. Jonathan Cooper gone. Tyreek Smith could be gone. 
And now you're talking about a defensive end rotation. Not sure how it's going to go. Defensive tackle could lose Togiai, could lose Garrett. We'll lose Antoine Jackson. A lot of guys you don't know about. Linebacker, Warner gone, Browning gone, Borland gone, Hilliard gone. Reset. Older backups, but a total reset at linebacker. Cornerback, uh, Sean Wade's going to be on seven banks back. Cam Brown hurt. He's a key guy. Ryan Watts coming back. Cam Martinez, a lot of these young guys we haven't seen yet. And then at safety, Josh Proctor, Ronnie Hickman, but you don't know much about it. It really is a reminder. They really, it is a transformational, transitional year. And it will certainly make uh, for a very interesting spring battle. We're going to take one more quick break and then kind of try to put this game in context once again, next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk again. Thanks to everybody who's a tech subscriber. If you'd like to join that, we always, we were sort of pushing it for a while. Hey, you know, join now. The semifinals coming up. Join now. The national championship game's coming up. Um, the offseason is interesting too because we still text. We still do podcasts. There's not as much news, although there's going to be news with NFL guys and stuff coming up, but there's more stuff that sort of you go out and you find, right? And then sometimes there's such a deluge of Ohio State stuff during the season Sometimes the text in the off season can be a, a good way to sort of stay connected to the team you care about when there's not as much obvious stuff just floating around on the internet all the time, right? There's, we won't text quite as much. I mean, we're not going to have 10 texts a day, but to get a little tidbit here, a little tidbit there, I think it can be a valuable four bucks a month to be like, Hey, yeah, I still care about Ohio state football. And I got a little thing, got a little thing here, got a little thing there. We'll have a lot of recruiting stuff in there. Um, we'll be analyzing the roster in these ways, talking to people. So I think it's still a value. It's a different way to think about it, but in some way, I think it's almost more value and in some ways it's less value, but it's, it's different and it's interesting. So try it. It's still a reason to try it. 614-350-3315. From the 419 at the beginning of the season, Doug talked about angry Bama. Do you guys think there was anything to that? And does Ryan Day have the ability to turn this game into something like that for this team next year? So, Stephen, I mean, it's all this motivational stuff. Um, do you think Angry Bama actually came to pass? And is there any way that we could see a, an angry Ohio State team next year? It did come to pass. One, because they won a national championship. But two, I think we got the most electric interview I think Devonta Smith has ever given out of Alabama because they all act like Nick Saban once they get there and they lose their personality, kind of like how San Antonio Spurs players lose their personality when they go play for pop. And he said it after the game. It's like last year they didn't make the playoffs and everybody thought the dynasty was over. Well, you thought wrong. The dynasty is not over. We are still here. I don't know if we're going to see angry. Uh, I think we saw angry Ohio state this year. It was just all directed at one team instead of the entire country. Like it was with Alabama. I think we're going to see an Ohio State team that got to the national championship and is going to try to reload and get back to the national championship game. Yeah, th- this was angry Ohio State this this year, I thought, and and then and, and and other emotions packed into that with the way that this season played out with COVID and everything else. But I, I think Stephen's right. I think that was more what what this season was fueled by a little bit. Um, the thing you got to remember about Alabama too was it wasn't that they got to a level and lost and like that that was burned into their brains. Like they got left out of this last year. Like they're supposed to be, their motivation was a different thing. Like they, they, we, everyone looks at Alabama in a different way. Like it's, if, if Alabama is not winning a national championship or at least getting in the national championship game in any given year, that's seen as a failure. I know that we think the expectations are high at Ohio state, 
but it's it's so much different there. And then to not even make the playoff last year and see this team come out of nowhere and put together the season they did for LSU, that's what the angry Bama thing was about, like just being dismissed the way that they were and having to come back and get that. But at the end of the day, I, I, I you know, Alabama could be as angry as they wanted to be. They also just were the best. They just were the there was no collection of talent this year that matched what Alabama had. Well, yeah, I mean they were and they were angry. <laughs> like I, I mean yeah. they were super motivated and the most talented, which is just a deadly combination. But I agree with everything you guys said. This was I this was as motivated sort of as an Ohio State team can be, I think in a lot of ways. And they and they did the motivation served them well. But I I don't think it'll be the same kind of thing. It's not like. I mean, they, they sort of had the season they were supposed to have. So, yeah, they got they didn't play as well in the national title game as they expected. But I, I don't think that that will be a running theme. I don't think this is going to be angry Ohio State. All right, talking about the Ohio State-Bama gap from the 619. No reason for Buckeye Nation to panic after this game. The future is bright. In your opinion, what's the most glaring difference between Bama and Ohio State, coaching or talent? I think it's talent. And let me do this real quick. This is a separate one where someone did the work for us, which well, we always appreciate. From the 704, tough loss, but uh, somewhat inevitable given the talent gap alone, even with the fully healthy Ohio State roster. To put the talent and development into perspective, take a look at the awards below. Alabama had eight award winners. Ohio State had none. Alabama had six finalists. Ohio State had one. Devontae Smith won the Heisman. He also won the Bolitnikoff for best receiver. He also won the Maxwell Award, which is like the lesser Heisman for player of the year. Mac Jones won the Davey O'Brien as the best quarterback. Najee Harris won the Doak Walker as the best running back. They won the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line. Alex Leatherwood won the Outman, the one the Outland as the best lineman. And Landon Dickerson, who was hurt for the game, won the Remington as the best center. Ohio State didn't have any of those. All they had as anything was Josh Myers as a finalist for the Remington. That's true. So that is a thank you for the research and the double check on that uh, on the Bama talent. Nathan, what's the what was the biggest gap you thought, um, I guess, either last night or as you go forward with Ohio State and Alabama? Is it coaching or is it talent? Well, I, I think it's still talent. I, I think, again, as it goes back to what we were saying on the defensive side of the ball that, OK, say what you will about whether somebody was a five star when they came in. But they weren't reaching that elite status by the time they left college. Um, I think the, the things were so thin for Ohio State defensively this year that if you take even – forget about Tommy Togia. You just take even Cam Brown off of this defense. Look at the ripple effects that that had. Like I just – I never, ever really lost that nagging feeling that the, the lack of – real depth uh, like you know, championship quality depth on that defense was going to be its downfall talent or coaching Steven talent but also within context of that 2017 class is ridiculous and a lot of those guys came back for their fourth year so it's it, it had been like if Ohio State's 20 had Chase Young Jeff Okuda still and still on this raw ro- and J.K. Dobbins still on this roster and not and not, had they convinced them to stay for a fourth year instead of going to the NFL like you had with Alabama where their that class was so great, but it was also the development was kind of 2018-ish, where a lot of those guys needed that fourth year development, which is why they were so good this year. And, right, and Nick Saban was asked a lot about that early this week, about those conversations with those guys who came back. And it, it wasn't all like – well, don't you just love Alabama and rah-rah and let's come back and win. A lot of it was the business decision. A lot of it was, hey, yeah. you, you know, it's one again, what I was saying before, it's one thing to get drafted, but if they're telling you you're like a fourth-round guy, look at what the money really is for that. 
what is the downfall to come back, play another year, possibly play yourself into a better position? And I think that kind of conversation, as Doug, you were saying before, like kind of trying to talk some of these guys into coming back, those are conversations that could legitimately appeal to people like Nicholas Petit Frere, Haskell Garrett, maybe even Tommy Togiai. I think that those conversations could be happening in the next week at Ohio State. Um, it's not that I think they're trying to twist somebody's arm against their best interests. I think legitimately the best interest of some of those guys could be come back and, and show over a full 12 game season, hopefully show over a full season, what you can do and maybe raise your stock even more. some of those guys, uh, you know, white Davis has nothing left to prove at the college level. He was just a unanimous all American a year after being an all American already. He needs to go. He's done. He needs to go be an NFL offensive lineman. I don't think that's the same for every guy who has that decision left to make. Alabama had six five stars in that class, and Tua and Jerry Judy were the only ones not on this roster. The 2017 recruiting class, they had six five stars. Tua and Jerry Judy went in the first round last year. The other, who were the other four that were Na- on this roster? Najee Harris was the number two player, number one running back. Alex Leatherwood, the number four player, top tackle. Dylan Mo- Moses, number thirteen player, number two outside linebacker, and then LeBron, LeBron Ray, number twenty-eight player, number two strong side defensive end, but he ended up playing linebacker for Alabama because they run a three-four. And Moses had an injury last year that contributed to it, but then th- th- there will be, um, it would be interesting and it's not a perfect comparison, but yeah, could, could the Ohio state 2018 class at all do what the Alabama 2017 class did? I mean, it's probably not a good comparison because there's no, it's, I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the ceiling. Stars. Yeah. There's not enough five-star guys who have, who have popped to make that happen. But the idea of you had a top two recruiting class in the country have the bulk of those guys not leave after their third year. So now you've got an already talented team who now has this influx of talent that probably shouldn't be there. Right. It would be, yeah. The the only comparison is, could they have a lot of guys back? Could there be a lot of the 2018 class that is here for a fourth season, but maybe you don't have to talk them into it as much. Although like Petit Frere is one of them that would apply to it. Tokyo is one of them that would apply to it. So um, yeah. Interesting. Bam is really good couple last ones 816 is this Alabama team better than last year's LSU team so like someone someone on Twitter had said like hey uh doesn't this prove something about Notre Dame's defense and I said we don't cover Notre Dame or whatever like I don't I don't care what people think of Notre Dame so like a Bama LSU comparison we don't cover either of those teams I think of them very similarly that they were offensive juggernauts with quarterbacks playing at a super high level surrounded by talent and they also had defensive talent and LSU off last year's team had 14 guys picked in the draft and, and Alabama off this team is probably going to have, I don't know, 12 or 14 guys picked in the next draft. So I don't know who's better. And I do think Nathan, you were sort of talking about like, you just had these two monster teams this year, these years, you know, what if you don't have a monster team? I mean, there are monster teams a lot. I mean, as it actually turns out, it's like, well, what were the Deshaun Watson Clemson teams when Deshaun Watson won the national title at Clemson. Was that a monster team? It's like that guy's a defining player in college football history. I do think, you know, when it was Alabama and Georgia in the title game, when Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma probably should have beaten Georgia, maybe there wasn't a team quite as good that year. I mean, Ohio State in 2014, as it turned out, kind of was a monster in a lot of ways. So there often is a monster. I don't have a great answer in comparing LSU and Alabama, other than I think they are really similar, Stephen. Like from the outside, I just think of them in a lot of the same ways. If we had to have a discussion where you had to pick one, I might lean LSU just because Joe Burrow is better than Mac Jones. But other than that, yeah, pretty similar. 
across the board. One other thing that jumps out at me when you talk about these two teams too is both of those teams had offensive coordinators in place and that's all they did and who really like dialed up those offenses. That's a great point. Joe Brady, everybody loved him last year. He got an NFL job out of it. Steve Sarkeesian, everybody loved him this year. He got the Texas head coaching job out of it. They were not the head coach. They were only a play caller. You literally are leading us straight into like the second to last question here with that point, Nathan. I also might take Saban over, you know, we got a great team. Uh, Coach O is just as good as Coach Saban. It's like, ah, might take Saban on that one. But, um, I mean, just imagine, imagine Alabama, what we, imagine what we saw from Alabama last night with a healthy Jalen Waddle. Yeah, but then on LSU side, it's about they all they had that they had Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. And that's what I'm saying. We got to make sure we remember that when we're comparing. Yeah. These oh, everybody healthy. It's a fun game. Yeah, and Ohio State's at the moment a little bit short of that, which is yeah. you know not that there's anything wrong, but I think it's true. Ohio State uh, and right. Clemson are losing to those two teams in the semifinal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from the 614, Doug, you can scream it's Alabama all day long, but this Alabama defense was awful all year. Florida lit them up, and their offense isn't better than ours. So that brings us back. That was a question that came in after listening to the podcast last night, which brings us back to what we were saying on that podcast. You know, It, it really is about the Ohio State offense. If the Ohio State offense didn't keep up, and we'll need to go back and dissect that, I think, a little more when we get to rewatch the game. But, yeah, I mean, that, that is true. Old Miss and Florida were more consistently effective offensively against Alabama than Ohio State was. I think that's indisputable. And so now maybe we go look for the answer to that. But I think that is a reasonable comparison, Nathan, that holds some water and deserves our attention over the next couple of weeks. Not the question is not, is the Ohio State offense good? I think the question is, why didn't the Ohio State offense play better against Alabama in the national title game? And if it turns out that the answer is, man, Justin was a little more hurt than they were trying to make clear during the week, and that was basically it. But I do want to go back and see how they covered Olave and Wilson. And the other answer is maybe just Trey Sermon got hurt and it blew up the game plan. But was there anything else in in what they were trying to do and the the personnel they used and did they miss opportunities? Was the play calling off? I do want to look at that, but I think it's fair to to state that at this point, Nathan. Yeah, and again, the Trace Army thing, the other half of the Trace Army thing we haven't talked about is that Master Teague hadn't played since the first series of the Big Ten Championship game, and now he's getting thrown into the National Championship game, and, and that, that shouldn't be – I mean, he should be ready to play. I'm sure they he practiced, he was ready to go, but let's not pretend that he wasn't probably a little bit rusty and wasn't maybe – as sharp as we've seen him at other times this year because of that. And then they got nobody behind him. They don't even have the guy that they were trusting behind him. As we talked about last night, you got to go to the guy even farther down the depth chart. So I think all those things were a factor. Um, And I still, I want to say though, as much as we're, we're correct to say that the offense was not what lived up to its standard in that game, more than the defense, the, the defense was the engine at a crucial time for what the offense did against Clemson. And if, if the defense makes even, like I was saying, like you make one more stop in the first half, give the ball back to the offense one more time in the first half, there are, there are repercussions potentially to play out in this game. So the, I don't think you can completely dismiss that the, the defense had opportunities as well. And if it had played better, it changes the game. All right. 
this is the last one before a serial question from the 614 after sleeping on it i'm ready to phrase my questions more succinctly is day or any head coach at the highest level just too busy to be the primary schematic game planner and number two can carry Holmes hack it schematically at the highest level i.e put his talented guys in a coherent scheme to be effective without dominating the line of scrimmage so badly that the scheme starts to matter less so We've talked a lot about Combs. We'll keep digging into that. Nathan, this is what you were just talking about. The idea of they had Joe Brady. The last two national champions had Joe Brady and had Steve Sarkeesian. And now it makes me, I mean, Lincoln Riley does it, but you know, Nick Saban doesn't do it. Dabo Sweeney doesn't do it. Coach O doesn't do it. Coach O's offensive genius. I just like to give credit to Joe Brady. Those other guys get him some attention. Is there any consideration of, does Ryan Day need play calling help? Not because he's not good at it, but just because he's busy. I don't know if we'll start trending that way this offseason. I think often it happens that a young head coach who rose up as a play caller keeps the play calling early, and often they pass it off once they get a staff that they believe in um, and that they can, they've established what their offense is. He has that right in front of him and Kevin Wilson, Kevin Wilson is very involved right now, but I don't know that anybody would call him the primary play caller. Nathan, is this a discussion? Could you see anything being tweaked in the Ryan day, Kevin Wilson play calling chain of command? I was trying to think of when, who was the last combination head coach, offensive play caller who won a national championship. Yeah, we don't know the answer to that. So, I mean, yeah. it's like, well, Saban, it's not Saban. So Saban wins. It's not like Saban, it's not Dabo, it's not Orgeron. Like, so again, we're talking about, it wasn't, was it Urban? It wasn't Urban, right? So, I mean, we're, it hasn't happened in the playoff era, basically. But it's hard. I mean, I don't think you can only think of it that way because Saban's so dominant. He almost blows it out of the water. Like, they've been so, so dominant. I know what you're saying, but like, I think the question is like, what, what consistent top 15 team does it. So it's Lincoln Riley right. and it's Ryan day at Ohio state. And I don't know the rest of the answers and it makes right. me want to research it in the off season. I was asking but, it kind of like rhetorically, like it, it's yeah. one of those things that hangs out there for me. Cause it's not like there's an obvious answer that jumps out and hits you in the face. So I think it's something to evaluate. I guess it kind of comes down to um, whether, you know, th is he going to put the, all of the play calling or more of the play calling into Kevin Wilson's hands. Does he, does he see that? Or is there some of this? I don't know. I wouldn't call it like ego on Ryan's part, but like also just a recognition of, of where he is and where he is maybe considered to be in terms of offensive minds in football and, and feeling like he gives a strength to this team by what he can do and see and think uh, on, on the field. Um, there were definitely times late this season where you questioned what he was seeing and thinking and, and, and feeling or whatever. And I'm sure that's part of the evaluation process as they go into the spring. Kevin Wilson's a great play caller. Um, he showed that in the Michigan state game where Ryan day wasn't there, but I do think that he and Kevin have kind of gotten into this rhythm since they both came in as co-coordinators together of work of, co of collaborating on that. So I just think that's, they found some comfort there. I am interested in if Kevin Wilson takes a job this summer, I think who Ryan day hires as the offensive coordinator becomes the most interesting thing in the world, because I do think then the clock starts of how many more seasons Ryan day is the play caller, because that will be the first court offensive coordinator that he will have chosen. 
So maybe he comes into next year. If that, if it happens this offseason, maybe he comes into this season with a brand-new quarterback, a freshman quarterback, and he calls plays because he still wants to have his hand on the wheel because it's a first-year starter. But then that next season, when that guy's in his second year as a starter, then he might relinquish that a little bit because it's the guy he hired, and maybe that's that was probably part of the plan. I mean, that, that just took a leap there. Where's Kevin Wilson going? I don't know. I mean, like, there's no indication. So, listen, yeah, Kevin Wilson would take a head coaching job yesterday if there was a reasonable one out there yeah. for him. I mean, the the hiring cycle has begun, uh, and I don't know that Kevin Wilson is very involved in anything that we've heard about. I don't know if he'd want to be an NFL offensive coordinator, but, I mean, he has, like, the best job he could have, kind of, other than being a head coach again. Yeah. And he's got a little baggage from Indiana that I don't know that he's shed completely yet. So, I mean, if Kevin Wilson leaves, then we're in an entirely different boat. But I think it's something its something to ask Ryan about this offseason. I think it, it is absolutely something we will ask Ryan about, that decision-making of how you do that. Because I can see where people are coming from. It's not, it's not that the play calling was bad. It's not that he's bad at play calling. It's that, do you just have too much on your plate? Is it pulling you too many different directions? But he also got pulled more there were more directions pulling on him this year a head coach had more to do this year and so then to also come up with the game plan i think was harder than even in a normal year for sure all right last one this is from our guy josh mustachio and the mustachio family uh we love we love the people that we get to know a little bit through the tech subscriptions again if you guys want to drop the names in your texts then we just know oh because sometimes we just see the phone number and you might be texting really smart stuff that we see, but if we don't get to know your name, we don't realize that it's you every time. So you're always welcome to say that name. And it's why we got to know somebody like Josh Mustachio. Only one king thing can fix this, Doug, and it's a breakfast cereal bracket. No, seriously, we need it. So we will get to a bracket, let's say not this week, but next. And so we just have to decide what we want to do first. I personally still am partial to the body part bracket because I think we could go 64 on that. I'm not so sure we couldn't go 128. I don't know if people want to do 128 thing bracket, but Nathan, uh, Nathan, do you know how many body parts there are? Um, well, I mean, there's there, there's only a few that matter. Are there are there more than 128? I guess is the question. And you just made a p word v word joke right here at the end. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> I don't know. No, I was you know I could have been talking about elbows and and uh, ankles. Um, I, 128, I mean, you're going to have to get down to, to, by the time you get to 128, we're going to have to spend a lot of time explaining what some of those body parts are. I think it's a long like, off what, season. That like, might be what, a worthwhile yeah. investment I, of our I, time. I, I think what we should try to is get, the larynx. Honestly, I think Justin Fields can answer this question for us at this point. We can just have him on and have him tell us, Hey, which of those body parts that you hurt was the most valuable. Yeah, that's <laughs> and true. Let him decide. We could try to have guys on who have injured each of the various body parts. You know what? I mean, I'll tell you what, again, a finger knocked the Heisman Trophy winner out of the national championship game. And he still won MVP. Let's give a nod to fingers. So, like, that's the kind of thing. It doesn't It doesn't have to be all, uh, all major organs here. So, I don't know. Would you guys rather do body parts right away or breakfast cereal? Let's start with cereal just so it's not weird. And then, you know, people can get used to, oh, the brackets are back. And then we throw in the weird stuff. Yeah, that's that talk. Body part seems like a real June 
bracket, like the, the sweltering days of summer when it's been like a yeah. while without football and it still seems like it, football is going to be a, a while to go. And then we'll really test our our listenership yeah. with I, a body part bracket. Yeah, I don't think right after losing a national championship game, you want to go, hey, what's your favorite body part? Yeah, I could see that. I could see like uh, an emergency meeting about why, why did you guys lose 400 tech <laughs> subscribers in a day? Like, <laughs> Doug started the body part bracket and people got freaked out and bailed. <laughs> Honey, it's like the headline of the episode is just knees versus shoulders. <laughs> like nobody's clicking on this. What? No, nobody is. <laughs> hey, guy. Uh, <laughs> hey, guys. Who's 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 got the wrist versus ankle post for today? <laughs> you guys take that. <laughs> oh, fuck it's I just three hundred words of us making up nonsense about elbows and knees. <laughs> Belly button versus pinky toe. <laughs> the reckoning. Just about, it's like eleven thirty at night, and you forgot. Oh wait, I didn't write the post about elbows and knees. We're looking up WebMD. It's like I don't even know what this body part is. Oh, that's where we're headed. Good luck to you guys. Sorry, listeners. Sorry, texters. Well, we, that's where we're headed. The real gag is we would just keep labeling all the the headlines like the biggest battle surrounding Ohio State football this spring and it, then it would just be like the next thing in the body part bracket. Yeah. And we're gonna yeah. Spring football questions. Ryan. Elbow or shoulder. All right. That's it. We got through like 19 questions. So thanks to you guys who sent them in. We'll I'll keep looking. I'll try to get through all thousand plus. We'll keep looking at them. Um here's what I think we're doing. We'll work it out on the pod. Here's what I think we'll do. So this is going up Tuesday. So we're really considering the post game pod, even though it went up at like four o'clock in the morning, Tuesday morning. That's still more like the Monday pod. This is now the Tuesday pod and it's going to go up. No pod on Wednesday. I'm thinking I'll send out a survey to tech subscribers and we'll do a Thursday survey pod where it's going to be a lot of survey questions about how you're feeling again, how you view the season in totality, that kind of thing. And we'll do some survey stuff. And then I think we need to do a live Zoom at some point. We had talked to people about maybe doing a, a Saturday Zoom I think we could try something like that for this Saturday. We could put it off a Saturday. Um, but then we also will start doing like depth chart projecting 2021. I don't think we'll get that to that this week, but I think that's what we'll start in on next week to just get that out there and start talking about that. But I, I would say at this point, no live, no new Wednesday pod. You'll have the headlines Wednesday morning. If you like listening to those, I'll give you the eight minute five headlines with Ohio state football. And then we'll come back Thursday with survey questions. And, and we're more learning of how you guys are thinking about what happened with this season. So that's where we are. We'll keep working it out. We're going to keep doing pods. We're going to keep texting. We're going to keep writing stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. Thanks to you guys for being part of it. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>